I like beer. Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode 20, the very last episode of season five on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. This is one of the last new episodes I'll be recording on the road, and I have to say that I miss my podcasting closet. I didn't think that I would, but I definitely do. Today, I'll be sharing a rolling conversation with you featuring coffee consultant Lily Kiros, aka Lil Coffee Geek. It wouldn't be the last show of the season if it weren't full of nonsense technical difficulties. In this case, my internet was not working properly, and it dropped our call a half a dozen times, forcing Lily and I to adapt and restart in the middle of some really important thoughts. If there is a little bit of choppy continuity in the interview, I sincerely apologize. I did my best to smooth it out. I blame an oversized internet conglomerate whose name I won't share explicitly. It might rhyme with Blectrum. Maybe. Probably. As a coffee consultant, one of the things that Lily does is help her clients work through problems, find those touch points that cause hiccups in roasting and operations. But that is just a start. I'll let her tell you more, and you can check out her new website, Lil Coffee Geek, while you're listening today to learn even more. I'll of course link to that in this show's notes and on RoastWestCoast.com. This podcast and myself is still on the road. I'm headed for Minnesota, then Montana and Idaho before hitting the West Coast in Vancouver, Canada. I've got our travel and camping map, and I've got our coffee map. They don't always overlap. So when in doubt, we're deferring to the coffee map. Wherever you are, I encourage you to find a new coffee roaster to try this week it may just change your life. And if you happen to bring home a new bag of beans, well, it's time to brew them. And it's also time for this interview with Lily Kiros, aka Lil Coffee Geek, coffee consultant on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Anything you wanted to ask me before we got started? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, then I will welcome you to this podcast, the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. And if you wouldn't mind just uh, for the tape and for everyone listening, if you could say what your name is and uh, your business, maybe what you consider your job title and uh, maybe your favorite thing to do uh, that is not coffee related. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Lily Kiros and I am a coffee consultant. My brand is kind of just Lily Kiros, Lil Coffee Geek. Uh, it's kind of like my Instagram social media handle, so I've been going by that. As a coffee consultant, you know, I get to do lots of fun stuff, helping out small businesses in the local San Diego area, 
as well as like larger coffee businesses as well. We can kind of get into the, you know, nitty gritty of the details of what I do. But yeah, my favorite thing to do outside of coffee. Uh, let's see. I love sports. I love playing sports, watching sports. And also my husband and I are really into like superheroes and Marvel and just kind of geeking out on on stuff like that. So nerd at heart. Awesome. Yeah, I like to let people know that you are that coffee people are also human beings. Yes. Uh, sometimes they're very intense about coffee. And so we want to make sure everyone knows also real people. <laughs> we are real people. Yes, we are. Well, let's get started with some backstory then. Like, let's go way back in time. I mean, do you remember your first coffee experience and or, or the first time that you thought, you know, this is something more than just coffee? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was in college, I studied food science. And I mean, I drank coffee as a college student, had to survive, you know. But I wasn't like into coffee, so to speak. I knew early on in my food science career that the beverage industry was kind of the direction I wanted to go within food science. Wasn't really sure what that looked like. I just knew I liked the beverage side more than the food side. And then my junior year of college, we did a like study tour as a department to Costa Rica. So we went to a bunch of different places, food places in Costa Rica, dairy farms, stuff like that. And then we went to Cafe Brit, which is like the largest commercially owned coffee farm production facility within Costa Rica. And so we got to see like the whole farm, the picking process, they cupped for us. And we just got to see kind of like that side of it. And they're like huge. So they have like a really big facility and like they do tours all the time and stuff like that. And so it was that trip, that moment where I was like, whoa, coffee is really cool. And like, so many things go into making it what it is and tastes like what it does. And so it was kind of at that point where I was like, I want to do this. This is the direction I want to go, like with my degree, with my career. And there was kind of no like looking back, I guess. That's really interesting that you found that in college. I feel like that isn't always the case. It certainly wasn't for me, but I'm also imagining you at this coffee factory in Costa Rica experiencing this for the first time with a group of other students in a similar track. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, if you're if you're having this kind of aha moment, if you're also thinking that everyone else is having the same moment or if they're just going, man, I can't wait to get back to the hostel or the hotel. Yeah, I mean, everybody enjoyed everybody enjoyed it. Just I mean, it's coffee, everybody. Unless you hate coffee, you're like, oh, this is cool. Let's drink some coffee and like have a good time. And especially compared to some of the other places we had seen on our trip, it was kind of the most like less stressful, chill, enjoyable tour. Um, We weren't making cheese by hand or trying weird popsicles from weird facilities (laughs) in Costa Rica. Um, So everyone was definitely enjoying themselves, but it was definitely apparent as I was talking about it that I was the only one who was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And this is where I'm going with my life. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get started on the food science program to begin with? That isn't something I would have even known existed, even though I grew up in hospitality. Yeah. Uh, What what, uh, sent you down that path? Yeah. When I was in high school, I loved cooking. I like loved food. 
So it was kind of like, okay, what can I do with that? Maybe I want to be a chef or open like a catering business or something. I used to volunteer a lot in high school. I used to do these like meal packaging events where we would package up this like rice, protein, dehydrated vegetables and stuff, and they'd ship them all over the world. And I was like learning more about the food we were packaging and learned that these meals were developed and created by food scientists. And I was like, what's a food scientist? That sounds fun. (laughs) I like food. I like chemistry and science. So maybe this is what I want to do. So it was just kind of, I don't know, fate, luck. I don't know. I am. I'm just so envious of people that get that up. That's that see that so early on. I just, I think I, I met with a guidance counselor once in high school and like once in college. And in both times, it was more of a, this is where you're at and what you can do as quickly as possible and and less of a, what is it you want to do? That just wasn't a question I ever really thought about. So I think that's really inspiring that that there are people that have these moments um, where they find something that they are passionate about. And then whether it's for a short time or forever, it doesn't matter, but it was something that you followed and, and ended up moving into a career. So after you graduate, I'm assuming you've already kind of figured that coffee is the track that I'm on. What made you think this is actually something that can be a career? Because I don't think, even though I've done a hundred episodes or more of the show, I still think people are surprised when they find out there are careers in coffee that aren't barista. Right. And people just kind of like fall into them sometimes. I think it benefited me that I went to college in the LA area because I think there was just more opportunity there. But once I knew that that was kind of the direction I wanted to go, I did kind of learned as much as I could about coffee on the food science side of things. So if I had a project or a paper where we got some sort of freedom, I would try somehow to relate it to coffee, whether it was like caffeine or like the lipids in coffee or whatever it might be. I was like, how can I relate this? How can I make this work? So that I could get as much knowledge before graduation because I knew I wasn't going to get that from my standard curriculum. And then we also had to do an internship to graduate. So I was like, okay, if coffee is the direction I want to go, I need to get a coffee internship somehow. So this is where I feel like being in LA was beneficial because there's a lot of coffee companies in the LA area, even... 10 years ago. So I just kind of started Googling and emailing random places, literally any coffee company I could find. And it was just like, Hey, I'm a food science student. I need an internship. Can I come like help you with something? Um, (laughs) And one small company Facebook messaged me back and was like, sure, come hang out with us. We roast on these days and do farmer's markets on the weekends and you're welcome to come hang out with us. And I was like, done, (laughs) sold. (laughs) And then I definitely had to kind of like stretch how it related to my food science internship so I could get credit for it. But that was my kind of start and foot into the door of like, what is roasting? They, you know, were the first ones that taught me how to like be a barista and pull a shot and steam milk. And stuff like that. And my first experience on like a big roasting machine and what's happening in that process and what goes into, you know, our side of the coffee chain versus the farm side, which I had seen before. So that was really cool. And then when I graduated, 
kind of did similar things, but knew there were a couple like larger manufacturing facilities in the LA area. So I kind of targeted those to try and get like my foot in the door. Uh, what I was going to ask uh, following that was uh, after graduation, if we mentioned at the top that you are a coffee consultant, but what was the kind of the journey from graduation to there? I think that's where we were at before the yeah. internet cut out, which is probably my fault. I got my teeth clean this morning. I think there's some weird, you know, I don't know what's going on. It's all good. Yeah. So when I graduated, I kind of targeted the like a larger bigger manufacturing coffee companies in the LA area thinking like this is where I can actually use my degree whereas with coffee roasting like yeah I have the science background and everything but you don't need a degree in food science to roast coffee or be a barista you know so I ended up working at a company called Gavinia they make Don Francisco's Jose's is their Costco brand they're a pretty large family-owned company in the LA area so I did quality assurance for them where I kind of learned the basics of sample roasting, did tons of cupping. Through them was where I got my initial Q grader certification. I helped them with developing new flavors, new blends. I did a lot of stuff on the production side of kind of overseeing the quality uh, control tests from the back, item numbers, making sure they all had the right materials and, you know, whatnot. And then I also took over their food safety program. So I did their SQF food certifications, organic certifications. Can I interrupt for a moment and just ask, what does food safety and coffee entail? I mean, is it just like literally inspecting beans for problems? I mean, what kind of things should we be worried that might be unsafe? Yeah. So the biggest issue with coffee is physical contaminants, rocks, sticks, things like that. So it's relatively easy in the grand scheme of food safety. Coffee, especially just like whole bean and ground, not like ready to drink stuff. That's a whole different thing. It's a whole different beast. But just the beans or the grounds is super easy. The annoying part is even though it's so easy, you still have to do the hazard analysis and like everything that you have to do for any other food product to get the proper certifications, regardless of the fact that like literally nothing grows in coffee. And even if there is a physical contaminant in it, nobody's then going to eat it, like then goes in a filter with boiling hot water, you know. Unlike the tree branch that I ate in a bowl of raisin bran last week, and that's not a joke. Exactly. Right. It's not you're not going to like physically consume it, even if a stick or rock ends up in your final product. But you know, you still have to do all of those things. And then also on the third party certification side, like organic, fair trade, all of that, that's more of like a tracking sustainability thing of like, okay, these are the beans I've purchased. There's the certification and everything from the farm, tracking it all the way through to say, okay, we purchased 500 pounds of green, factor in some weight loss. And, you know, now we've sold 400 pounds of roasted coffee and making sure that all of that tracks and matches up. So that you're not selling, you're not purchasing 500 pounds and selling 600 pounds. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of administrative paperwork that I think people don't see from the outside when they think about what we would call the glamorous side of coffee roasting. Uh, You're not thinking about the tracking and the paperwork and, 
even if you're working in thinking of something else, I like with a nonprofit, you may not be like an environmental nonprofit land manager may not actually be working on the land. Most of the time they might be writing grants and, you know, tracking different uh, species and things through cameras. And it's a whole process. There's, there's a whole world that people don't think of when they are drinking their cup and going, God, you know, it'd be great if I opened a coffee shop or if I became a roaster. Exactly. And a lot of these people will start roasting, start doing these things and then want to sell in certain stores and realize, oh, I need these certifications. I need a HACCP plan or I need, you know, whatever it may be. And then they start looking into it and it's like super complicated. And you're like, how do I even do this? You kind of like are in over your head, so to speak, because even though coffee is so simple, you still have to understand the entire process of what it is, what's being asked of you and what you need to sure. then present if an auditor comes and looks at everything. You still have to have all the documentation and everything recorded properly. Like this is how much we roasted. This is the weight loss. Cause auditors never understand coffee. So they're like, what do you mean? There's less, where'd the rest of it go? It's like, well, it's it, it loses water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dis- yes. It disappeared, dissipated. Starting at a big company like that. Did you have, a training program. Did they have a training program for you to learn all this stuff or were you kind of learning it on the fly as you went? A little bit of both. I mean, they are a larger company. So I had some basic training of their procedures of like, this is how we test for oxygen. This is how we do our grind tests and how this machine works and, and stuff like that. But, and then the food safety stuff, because of my background, they were kind of just like, here you go. <laughs> Great. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, we'll figure it out. But on uh, like so, the, I wasn't say on the tasting side, that was very much like a learn as you go of like, and I, I've, I've had to develop training programs for like new people at roasting facilities of like learning how to roast, learning how to cup and things like that. And it's so hard because so much of it is just practice, you know? Like, yeah. You need to know, turn this knob or use this much water or wait this long or whatever, but it's just like doing it enough times to where you feel confident in your taste buds or in your ability to know what the coffee's doing inside the machine. You know, it's all really just, you just got to do it a million times. I, I think about that even just when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning and trying to make a note to myself of what maybe I was tasting. And I don't have that same confidence because I, half the time I'm drinking coffee, I'm not really thinking about the coffee I'm drinking. Right. The other half the time, I'm trying to be super focused and professional about what I'm doing, which isn't really you know my job. My, I, I feel confident that I am the dummy on the show and I bring in smart people to teach me about coffee. Well, and the, the thing with developing your palate is, especially as a company, just tasting together enough times so that you're all calibrated with each other. So if I'm tasting orange and you're tasting lemon, but we as a company decide that this is orange, you can then calibrate yourself to learn, okay, I'm tasting lemon, but we are actually, I actually need to interpret that as orange. So you can kind of recalibrate your palate or your taste buds based on who you're tasting with and what the company is, is kind of going for. And that's, that's where like the Q grading certification comes in too. Q graders are all calibrated to be tasting the same or relatively the same so that a Q grader in the States versus Europe or Asia is going to be tasting the same things. So it's really hard to develop your palate on your own 
because you could just make up whatever you want. And there's no wrong answer, right? You're tasting what you're tasting. You can't be wrong. But it's that that calibration of creating that like unity in what you're tasting with the mass or your company or the people, you know, in your environment. Sure. It's like um, when a bunch of people witness a crime and they all have a different version of what happened. Exactly. You got to find that through line. You mentioned Q grading and we've recently on this, this season in particular, we've done a lot of discussions about Q grading with different guests. You recently let your Q grader certification lapse. I saw on the, on the site. Yes. I'm just wondering what uh, value you found besides this obvious work related calibration and now as you're going into consulting, why that was something that you haven't, you didn't keep going with? Um, I think there's a lot of value to Q grading as a whole, like having that calibration because coffee comes from all over the world, having that calibration of tasting and grading all over the world, I think is, is important. Um, but for me in my consulting role, I, I feel like I already have the taste buds and the skills to taste the coffee that the certification is just kind of, I guess, like for show in a sense, like I know so many cuppers who are phenomenal cuppers who've never been a Q grader. And I know people who are Q graders who are good cuppers cause they, they did it. They were certified, but there's cuppers that are better than them who aren't certified, who can like taste coffee instantaneously or be able to, you know, differentiate minutia even more than somebody who's certified. And it's not cheap. So now as a consultant, that's something I have to pay for myself. And with COVID, I hate to blame everything on COVID, but <laughs> with COVID, the recertification is like a calibration. You just go and recalibrate yourself. There's less opportunities, less available, like in my general area. And I now have a family and children and finding the time to like fly to another state to do this, like, you know, full day test that I'm having to pay all this money for to just then put on my resume, so to speak, wasn't, wasn't worth it, I guess. Sure. I mean, it's not like you lost those skills just because it's not uh, on the piece of paper. Exactly. And I, I feel like unless you're actively grading green coffee, it's really not necessary. Like if you're the owner of a business, yeah, having at least one person on your staff who's a Q grader, I think is important because they can evaluate the samples coming in and really determine whether the price that you're being offered is fair, if the coffee's good, if the coffee's not good. I think that's where it's super important is evaluating it on the green side. Whereas for me as a consultant, yeah, I can, I can take your green and evaluate it for you. But the majority of what I do is kind of that post roast. So is your roast a good roast? Do we need to make tweaks? Do we need to make changes? And where the Q grader certification, yeah, it says I can cup and I have a good palate. I'm not necessarily using those skills to help you do that. It's a different perspective because whether I like it or not is irrelevant it's whether your coffee roast is the best that it can be and the best that you want it to be. You may want it, it to taste a certain way because of your client or your market or whatever you're going for. Whether I like that or not is irrelevant. But I'm going to make sure that it tastes exactly how you want it to taste. And if we can improve it, let's do that. 
Interesting. I don't want to lose the thread of, you know, kind of your journey to consulting because I do want to, I keep thinking of more questions I want to ask you about what you're doing yeah. with consulting, but we're going to get there, I promise. I, I don't want to lose that where that thread where you are working out of college at a larger company and you're learning all of these kind of corporate skills and corporate coffee skills. Where do you go from there? Yeah. So I, I definitely learned a lot working there. I learned kind of like the backbone of coffee, the whole seed to cup process and they're a family owned business. They've been around a long time. So they're a little, they're a little bit more on the second wave side. Um, they've definitely now started moving towards kind of the third wave market. But when I was there, definitely more of like a second wave. Um, but just learning like how green buying is done on a super large scale and like what the C market is and, and all of that stuff. Um, but doing the food safety side of things and being, as you said, on the non-glamorous side, I was like, I don't, I don't like this. This isn't fun anymore. Um, and because it was a larger company and the role I was in, I knew that there was kind of no way back at that point. I was kind of like stuck in that role. So I quit <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll open my own thing. Maybe I'll find somewhere else to go. I don't know. But my husband was super supportive. We had recently gotten married and he was like, I'm making enough. If you want to do it, now's the time to do it. Like we don't have kids, just, just do it. So I did. Took some time off, looked into opening a shop and was like, this is not what I want. This is way more work than I anticipated and way more overhead <laughs> and, you know, hadn't, hadn't gone all the way there. So I ended up as a barista for a couple months and then started working at a company called Espresso Republic. They're in Chino, which is just outside the Los Angeles area. Their cafes are drip. I don't know if everybody on here is familiar with drip, but throughout the Orange County area. So I roasted for them for a couple years. And that was where I truly learned how to like roast. I had roasted during my internship, but it had been years before and I was just the intern. So just kind of learned how to press the buttons. So I learned really how to roast, kind of what's going on inside the roaster, the science behind what's going on, how to adjust, things like that. And then I took over as head roaster and production manager there. So I learned a lot there, started learning how to buy green because it was so small that as, you know, the head roaster, production manager, you've got two employees that you're managing, but then like a million other tasks that have to happen in the coffee world. And then I'm originally from San Diego. So my goal in life was to eventually move back <laughs> to San Diego. And I told my husband, even when we were dating, like, I don't care when it happens, but before I die, we're going, we're going back. Um, so I got an opportunity down here in San Diego to work for Modern Times beer slash coffee. And I took it. So moved down to San Diego in 2000. 17, 18, one of those, and was the head roaster at Modern Times Coffee for a while, and then also took over production and roasting and their cold brew and all of that there as well. And then COVID happened. <laughs> so I, um, at the time, our son was just about 18 months old. And my husband, he already worked from home. He works in the tech industry. And so he was already working from home. And as people were transitioning, working from home and transitioning to teams, he became busier 
because he was kind of working with his company in Microsoft. And so he became busier. And since he already worked from home, his job was like, oh, well, nothing's new for you. Nothing's changed. So a lot of the childcare fell on myself. So I was watching my son and trying to manage production while not being there. So managing production remotely is really difficult. I was working like weird hours. Felt like I was giving half of myself to my son and half of myself to my job. And it just wasn't fair to anybody. So I took a leave of absence thinking, this is going to go away, right? We all thought COVID was going to go away. And then my leave ended and it was like, okay, we need to make this decision. I'm either going back to work like full time and our son's going back to daycare or I don't go back. And we, as hard as it was, we decided that I wouldn't go back. And that was definitely not an easy decision, but it was the right decision for us at the time. And then, so that was like August of 2020. And then about three months later, we found out that I was pregnant with twins. (laughs) So I was like, well, guess I'm not going back to work full time anytime soon. So was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Stay at home for now. And I just mentally I couldn't do it. And having connections in the coffee world. And I have a very close friend who has his own consulting business. Um, kind of picked his brain and decided like, hey, I think I could do this. It allows me to kind of have the hours that I want, work as much or as little as I want, you know, be home with my family, but also still be able to do what I love in the coffee industry and still have that connection to that part of me that I am so passionate for. Sure. That's, um, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something, a talking point that has been in the news recently, how in the career field, women have been more likely to be the ones to stay home or not go back to work because of the childcare issue. And I'm wondering if that was something you guys thought about. I'm assuming you made this decision as a partnership, so I'm not asking like if it's fair or not, because I know right. from being in a marriage, we make decisions that sometimes are better for the other, better for the, yep. for you. And it's all about going together in the same direction, hopefully. But I'm wondering if that was something that you guys were thinking about or that you were feeling that, you know, why should I be the one to stay home? And I don't mean to intrude too much. You can always tell me to back off. But just wondering if that was a thought that came up and something that you had to deal with. Yeah, a thousand percent. Yes. If my husband could be a stay at home dad, he absolutely would be. If we could switch roles and he was the one who stayed home and I was the one who went to work every day, we would do it in a heartbeat. But with the careers that we chose and the, you know, situation that was presented to us, he was and is making enough money on his own to support our family. So that was the direction that we had to go was that I was the one that wasn't going to work and he was the one that would stay home. But if I could somehow find a a job that paid me, you know, a ton of money, then he would quit (laughs) in a second. (laughs) He'd be like, I'm out. (laughs) Well, let's let's hope that his boss isn't listening to the show. (laughs) Well, that get, that got you to this point now, where you are in a role where you are consulting, and you have a, and you're managing a family, and you're helping other people with their businesses. So, I think it's a two part question, and um, probably a big one. But how did you? Okay, I decided to be a consultant. Great, but now someone has to actually decide you are the person they want to consult with. 
How did you find those first clients? And then what is it that you are offering them? What are you doing for them? I mentioned I have a friend who already had a coffee kind of consulting business and everything. And a lot of his business was kind of like certifications and seminars and and things like that. And so a lot of that obviously stopped during COVID. And so he was realizing his business wasn't necessarily sustainable. So he got a full-time job. And so we were kind of chatting and different things. And so he didn't want his business to like die, so to speak. He's like, I don't want to let it go, but I'm not going to have time to maintain it the same way. And I had mentioned to him that I was thinking about going this direction and everything. So we kind of made a deal of like he would send me either samples to help him with or, you know, clients that he felt were going to be too much work for him or a conflict of interest with his new job. Um, So my first kind of like big client that I'm still working with was kind of a referral through him. And then my other like second client second ongoing client was like a friend of a friend. Um, So that was kind of how I started getting clients and getting kind of my name out there a little bit. And I've had uh, a couple other people that I've worked with that I've, you know, connected through on LinkedIn or have just known through my coffee network. I've evaluated samples for a variety of people from instant coffee to roasted coffee, flavors, different things like that. I started working to develop coffee capsules sort of a thing for a while. What What is that? Like um, a co- coffee capsule, like a like something you would drop into hot water to release as like a coffee flavor? The one I was working for, what they were trying to do like a, a Dulce Gusto style. So the Dulce Gusto machine has one pod, like almost like a K-cup, but it's its own like proprietary shape or whatever. One is coffee and then you put a second one in and it's like milk and sugar and flavors. And so you get like a fancy cappuccino or whatever. So I was working with them trying to kind of develop how to make this work with the milk and get good texture and froth and stuff like that. Um, I've also kind of helped some people go in the right direction for those food safety HACCP certifications. Like, okay, what steps do I need to take? It's typically something that can be done like on your team. I can do it for somebody if they want as the consultant. But most of these businesses that are looking for help are small. And so they're just like, where do I even go? Where do I begin? You know, so it's just like, okay, these are, this is what you need. These are the sites where you're going to be able to find all this information. This is where you get your training Um, and just helping guide them in the direction so that their, you know, elected person can then take over and do it for their company as well. Sure. You're, I mean, you're foundation building, right? Exactly. And this is my, my own opinion, but like, I always felt like when I was consulting or taking on management roles, my job was to get the business to a place where I wasn't needed anymore. And that's how I knew I had succeeded. And so, but I also found that when I did that, then generally those businesses wanted me to stick around and do, yeah. and do more Which things. Is fine too. So yeah, it totally works out either way. You've mentioned a bunch of different things. Like if I were out there in the world and going, man, I want to get into a coffee industry related business. Is there somebody who is kind of like your ideal client? Like, is it coffee roasters? Is it coffee shops that are opening? Is it people who are on like the, uh, maybe it, 
trying to do innovation in coffee? What is it that you feel that you or like? Do you have a niche, or are you just like, you know what? If it involves coffee, I'm in. Right now, I'm kind of just taking what I can get because I have a family and I'm not able to work all the time. I'm not putting myself out there to like try and get as many clients as I can get because I don't have time. I physically, you know, mentally cannot take on that many people at once. So at this point, I'm kind of just taking what's falling into my lap or what opportunities I'm, I'm seeing. I'm, I'm trying a little bit. I'm not like hiding, you know, but if I could pick a niche and was able to like really put myself out there and market myself for a niche, I would definitely go towards these like small roaster side of things and helping them improve their roasts, how to roast properly, making sure that their roasts are efficient and the highest quality that they can be. And, you know, what are you marketing for? So let's make it taste toward what kind of final product you're using it for, whether it's espresso or a pour over or a blend or whatever it may be. That would be my first choice. But I I do enjoy like grading green is always fun. So when I get an opportunity to kind of grade samples from either a farm or, you know, somebody who's like, hey, I have this coffee that's been sitting around for a while. Can you evaluate it? Is it still good? Can I still use it? That's fun too. And anything that involves tasting coffee, really. I work with one client who was developing a bunch of different flavors and trying to infuse it with stuff. And so just kind of the the back and forth of, okay, how can we infuse this better? How can we improve this flavor? How can we improve the roast to make the flavors meld better? Anything on, on that kind of side of tasting and developing the coffee in that sense. I would think that would be a kind of an ongoing process too, because coffee is a living, breathing entity to some extent. And, you know, you are, uh, one thing I think that is, is maybe a little different from a small roaster to the bigger corporate uh, companies is the consistency changes somewhat because mm-hmm. you're buying smaller batches and you right. are buying maybe the same farm, but totally different from year to year, about or season exactly. to season. And uh, so you are kind of continually in need there. Or having, having a blend where, you know, it's Honduras and Ethiopia and the Honduras you normally buy isn't available. So now what do you do? Do you get another Honduras or do you get another origin? Like, how do you, you know, how do you make that blend still taste what it's supposed to taste like? Where do you see kind of the, this current moment in coffee going? We've been having some major fluctuations in the sea market. We've been seeing a push towards higher priced coffees that reward farmers in the craft community. We're also seeing large companies try to get, trying to get more involved in promoting themselves on the same level uh, as selling single origins or, you know, organic or direct trade, you know, where do you see coffee going now? Cause I, I, I see us kind of on this like precipice where we could just keep riding this wave with more roasters, small roasters opening up, but is there going to be some change that you think will be, be on the horizon? I hope there's a change. I actually just read an article in Roast Magazine that was talking about on the farm side, how they feel about like the Q grading and the scores that are assigned and, you know, the perspective of like, I work for a year and then I turn my work into my boss and then the boss decides how much they're going to pay me for the work I did the previous year. And, you know, that unknown of how much a farmer is going to make or not going to make And because my farm is at a lower altitude 
than this other farm, my coffee is automatically, you know, not as good, even though I may have an, you know, really good practices and I'm, you know, picking it properly and sorting it properly and taking care of it and doing all these things correctly. And another farm isn't, they're just in a better location. So why are they rewarded more, you know, for my, for my additional hard work and that most farmers would rather get paid less if it meant they got paid consistently and they knew how much they were going to get paid every year. And it was a really interesting perspective to read it from that side of like, I never really thought about it that way, you know, like, yeah, you should get, you know, the coffee has a value, better coffee, you get more, just like anything else has value, better quality, it's worth more. But kind of who's to tell you what that quality is? Why are we just arbitrarily assigning numbers to things because they taste a certain way or don't taste a certain way, right? Why are certain flavors prized over other flavors? And I think kind of with the transparency and a push towards sustainability and wanting to help these farms out, I hope that there's a change. I don't, I don't know what that would look like, but I hope that we can continue to evolve and develop as an industry and make sure that those farms, that all the farms are taken care of, not just the ones who have the resources to put themselves on social media, right? There's tons of farms that aren't able to do that or because they don't have the resources or they just don't know what they're doing. You know, there's farms where everybody that works on the farm is 50 plus. Like they're not going to know how to make TikToks or, you know, post on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is. So I hope that there's, especially for the people who are like buying and importing and kind of the main connection between our side and the farm side, that we can come up with a new system of how to make sure that all these farmers are taken care of while still highlighting and giving credit to those farms that are going above and beyond, that are creating that new coffee, special coffee, different coffee. And it's not just like a third, what we would call third world countries that are living year to year as farmers or subsistence, I can't say the word. Uh, I'll get there. Uh, But it's not, that's an American farming as well. Like you're kind of living on the float because you are producing a product and in, in the United States, they've developed a system of government subsidies, uh, mm-hmm. which help sustain farms, arguably better or worse, depending on your perspective on, and where you are in that chain and how sustainable it is for the future. Now that we are so much more connected and the demand for coffee is growing seemingly exponentially year over year, we're much more aware of and because of social media, true, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in the internet, we are much more aware of the conditions on the farms. And so it's like, I think this is a good thing, but it's becoming more difficult to just blindly drink a cup of coffee and not think about where it came from. Yeah. I know that people still do, but I do think that is more of a challenge. I'm wondering, before we we kind of get too far, if there's anything that I didn't ask you about, I know we had uh, some internet troubles, I truly apologize for that, but Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want people to know about the business or about you or about your journey uh, that we should get to? I think just the biggest thing is I'm so passionate about coffee and I've always been passionate about helping people. And, you know, I used to do those packaging events and that's really that mentality and mindset has really stuck with me of helping others. And so being a consultant and being able to kind of combine those two things has been a really amazing opportunity 
and one that I never thought I would have an opportunity to to do. So, you know, if you need help with your business, like I'm, I'm looking out for you. I want you to succeed. I want you to have the best product possible, whether you're trying to improve your roasts or, you know, open a shop or whatever it may be. Let's do it. Let's get to work. Let's do it together. Being a coffee consultant, being able to do that and to help people improve their business, improve their coffee and, you know, succeed is something that I really enjoy and really love. If there's somebody out there who, you know, needs a little bit of guidance or help, like, let me help you. Let's work together. Let's, you know, whether it's education because you want to start roasting or you're roasting and want to know more about what's going on in the roaster or the seed to cut process. Like, I love just chatting about coffee too, talking to people and learning what they're doing and and stuff like that. And I just find it so fun and so enjoyable. This is like my unsolicited uh, thought as we've been talking today. I've been thinking about this, but you could also be a consultant for uh, people who who want to start a business while having a family, uh, which is true. a totally different challenge. Anyone who has a family knows there's so much multitasking involved, and it's similar to running a small business. Like You are yes. responsible for a lot of different things. If you were to stop at a coffee shop somewhere uh, while you're out in the world, what is it that you are ordering for yourself? What are you get, What are you going to get to drink? Yeah, if I'm at a like a specialty coffee shop for the first time, I would typically order a cappuccino and whatever. If they have pour overs, I'll order a pour over as well. If they only do like a drip, like house blend sort of deal, then I'll just get a cappuccino. But if they have, you know by hand pour overs available i'll get i'll get a pour over and a cap how long before uh your kids try coffee Ooh, long (laughs) (laughs) my my son is now three and he thinks coffee is chocolate milk so when we drink our coffees i want coffee okay and i go make him a a chocolate milk (laughs) my barista style (laughs) chocolate milk of of coffee syrup and milk and a little bit of hot water. Ah, very cool. Well, I always ask people about their first experience with coffee, and some of them go back all the way to when they were kids. And Yeah, I mean, my husband is from a Latino family, and he drank coffee as a young kid, and, and now, like, caffeine does nothing to him. Okay, to recap, Lily had an aha moment on a Costa Rican coffee farm That led her down the path to a coffee career. She is also a working mom with a set of twins and another young child. COVID caused some logistical hiccups for Lily and her family, which led her somewhat unexpectedly to this consulting opportunity. COVID caused and continues to cause twists and turns in all of our lives. You're not alone out there if you're making some big decisions in what you want out of life, work, partnerships, and coffee. I know that I am. Lily was a Q grader and has learned the in-depth skills to taste coffee. But something she said during the interview is important. What you taste when you taste coffee is what you taste. There aren't any wrong answers. Not really. It kind of goes back to the color concept of, is the green that I see the same as the green that you see? But in this case, do the flavor notes of dark chocolate and nectarine taste the same to you as they do to me? In the end, the best coffee for you is the coffee that you like. So, like what you like, and don't worry that that may not be what everyone says you should like. And finally, coffee people are real people too. 
That's probably a good theme for this entire season. Coffee people are real people. Head to lilcoffeegeek.com, that is Lil, L-I-L, Coffee Geek, to learn more about Lily and what she offers as a coffee consultant. You'll also find links on roastwestcoast.com, which is where I am asking you to subscribe to the Roast West Coast newsletter that accompanies this podcast. I'll email you every episode with details on the show, links, and while you're there, please consider a paid subscription. Paid subscribers are essential to the continued success of this show, and I can't thank all of you enough for being part of my coffee journey and helping this show uplift and grow the coffee community at large. Also integral to this show's success are the incredible roast industry partners. Check out and support Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Ignite Coffee Company, Ascend Roasters, Coffee Cycle Roasting, First Light Whiskey, Morea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Café La Terre. Shout out to Joe from Cape Horn Coffee Importers. I'm not too far from you down the road right now. I link to the Roast Industry Partner websites in every newsletter post on roastwestcoast.com, and those links are also right on the front page of the website. Follow at Roast West Coast on Instagram for more of my coffee adventures and to follow my summer coffee travels. Season 6 is on the way with an all-new slate of guests, and some awesome returning experts to help us break down all of the questions that you have about coffee. Until then, I'll be releasing some classic episodes and updates from the road every week. I'll take this last moment to say how grateful I am that I have the opportunity to talk with so many inspiring guests and learn so much about this drink, this product, this way of life that I'm passionate about. And I hope to continue doing so for a very long time. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded on the road in the basement by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. For those of you headed out for a cup of coffee this week, please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.